0: Welcome to Conversation 360 Podcasts and this episode of the podcast series, Asia and the West. I'm your host, Susan Bird. On Asia and the West, we showcase people whose life, work, and experience shed light on what is taking place between these two critically important parts of our world. We're especially focused on China, and you'll hear from people with fascinating things to share about other parts of Asia as well. Please note the opinions expressed here are those of the individuals themselves, not intending to reflect that of their companies or organizations in which they're involved. The growth of innovation
1: is much faster than, uh, frankly speaking, the Western countries realize.
0: That's Christine Yan talking of the explosion of innovation in China and describing what she calls the new two-speed economy. I've known Christine since we met years ago in the Committee of 200 where preeminent women business leaders hang out. She knows firsthand what she's talking about. She was trained as a mechanical engineer with an MBA, and she's now in Shanghai from where she runs all business in Asia for Stanley Black & Decker, the Western-based multinational Fortune 500 company that sells nuts, bolts, tools, and everything that goes with them. In fact, I understand Christine is the patent holder on some of those tools. By the way, you'll hear at some points in our conversation where her audio is momentarily interrupted. I left those spots in because I was just sure that you didn't want to miss anything that she said. It's uh, quite wonderful, even with those momentary disruptions. Christine takes on a number of topics, for example, besides the two-speed economy. She says some interesting things about the cultural differences as well.
1: There's a saying, the the longer you live in China, then the less you know about it from a foreigner perspective. If you're here just for a week, you think, oh, my gosh, I, I know China. And then actually, you know nothing about China other than you've been here. And then if you've been here, you know, a year, you think you can write a book about China. And then if you've been here three years, you might only think you can write an article about it.
0: Besides the cultural challenges that Westerners face when they go to China, she's well aware of the challenges that are involved for the country of China in transforming this Chinese economy into this two-speed economy, as she calls it. For example... And, uh, you know, we
1: talk about the steel industry. There's a huge overcapacity of steel. But they're not shutting down those plants. Uh, You know, in the U.S., you'd be shutting them, you know, they'd be shut down a couple years ago, but they're managing managing it closely, you know, having the planned output, because two to three million workers are impacted.
0: Here's the central basis of Christine's optimism about China's future.
1: You talk to the Chinese entrepreneurs. I have never seen such optimism. You talk to them, if they try something, they fail. They'll try something else. Everybody's thinking about making something big,
0: and people want to be wealthy. That optimism, coupled with the sheer size of the economy, is what... Christine points out.
1: I think they were talking about 300 million middle
0: class. That's bigger than the U.S. population. You'll hear us talking about these topics and many more in this episode. So let's get started. Welcome to Conversation 360 podcast and this Asia and the West series, Christine. I know you're in Shanghai while I'm speaking to you from New York, and I'm just delighted you're taking part. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Susan.
0: So we, I'd like to talk about, uh, especially around the issue of conversations taking place between Asia and the West. And I know that uh, that has a great deal of meaning for someone like you who has uh, lived in both parts of the world, especially now that you're back there and have been there for two years, really leading a major business. What, What's your approach to how things have developed since you were there last and in the, just in the last 2 years things move very quickly i know so just give me your impression
1: yeah um you know asia is such a dynamic region uh compared to the rest of the world um and as you know it has the uh, some of the world's fastest growth gdp countries and china in particular you know the changes in the last 15 years in china is nothing uh, you know short of a miracle i guess if you look uh, at the uh, cityscape in Shanghai and Chinese major cities, I mean, it's just amazing what the the Chinese government has been able to orche- orchestrate, and the growth in middle class is really exploding in China. You know, you, I'm sure you read the news in the U.S. as to all the Chinese tourists who want to go abroad and see things to travel. You know, so it's you know there 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 are tremendous growth potentials in China, even despite the fact that the GDP um has slowed. Um, you know, actually the GDP growth rate today is the slowest in the last fifteen years, you know, um slow since nineteen ninety nine, I think. Um so, but it's still huge growth, huge potential due to the size of the economy and um and the, the growing middle class.
0: Well you've mentioned a couple of things I'd like to pick up on. One is this slowdown, which as you're saying, even though it, it has happened uh, is still pretty tremendous mm-hmm. GDP. How has that affected mm-hmm. people? Is there a sense that has the dialogue shifted at all during this slowdown, or are people really pretty much business as usual, feeling that uh, this is just a, a part of what happens when there's been such explosive growth?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think you know it, it's both. Uh, number one, people are adjusting to to the slowdown, and actually the the, the government. Uh, the, the, the term for this is the new normal okay so the, as a matter of fact the government is trying to manage the GDP growth going forward at least for the next planning period which is the next five years to to be about 6.5 percent uh, you know GDP which is the new normal level and uh, if, if you it, versus the 15 percent growth or double digit growth in the last 15 15- years 20 years um, so that's one thing the other thing is you know the the gdp growth is two poles. you know the, the i'm sure you heard the, the term two speed china's two speed economy yes. the old traditional heavy industry actually they're in the decline okay so they've been in the decline mode export has slowed in some months they were negative export growth um so on the traditional industrial side actually there's there's very little growth or negative growth depends on what industry you're talking about but the growth side comes from service like financial services uh travel and entertainment i mean like movie um uh, viewership or movie theater growth i mean they are more than 35 percent um they so the other part is you know e-commerce i mean you e-commerce their growth the, the 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 biggest sales day double they call it the W11 sales day Alibaba recorded thirty seven percent growth year over year and they did seventeen billion dollar in sale sales in one day. So there there's growth areas and the other thing is you know if you look at the the two speed economy luxury goods they're still growing because the growing wealth of the Chinese consumers and they want branded Western products and while staples such as, you know, the working class uh, consumables such as beer um, <clears throat> and and, and uh, um, even uh, instant noodles where the workers eat more. And they're on the decline. They've been on the decline for, since 2014. And that reflects the in- industrial slowdown. So the two speed economy is the new norm. And, and the other thing the government talk about is transformation and upgrade the economy. Upgrading meaning to to upgrade to more value-added versus China being the manufacturing base, they're talking about innovation every day. You see a lot of innovations of China now, you know, high-tech and and the growth of innovation is much faster than, uh, frankly speaking, the Western countries realize. If you, uh, you know, unless you're on the ground to see the the just amount of innovation that's taking place and the growth of, you know, internet companies and high-tech, it's just amazing. And the other one is transformation. They're, transform- they're trying to transform the state-owned in- enterprises, again, to be more value-added versus just the manufacturing base for the world. So.
0: That brings up several questions. One is you just touched on the what people call the SOEs, the state-owned enterprises, mm-hmm. which have been mm-hmm. uh, pretty much supported by the government and have been a little mm-hmm. bit uh, slower to, to really... Have they changed at all? Are they having to... Speed up their operations is. Are they still being so protected as they were in the past? Is what's happening there?
1: Well, I mean, they're trying. The Chinese government is trying to reform the SOE sector, but which is a huge sector, and it's not an easy task. And, and if, uh, you know, the, I'm sure you read in a lot of Western media about China's debt problem. You know, the the debt as percentage of GDP, China is the third highest after Germany and the U.S. Uh, and the majority of the debt are SOEs is to support the SOE, state-owned enterprises. And uh, there are a lot of inefficiencies there. And the Chinese government is trying to be to do it very, very carefully uh, to carry out the reform because so many people's employment is at stake. And the one thing the Chinese government doesn't like, or the culture, the Chinese culture doesn't like it, is instability especially social instability so the government is managing that very very carefully and uh, you know you talk about the steel industry there's a huge over capacity of steel but they're not shutting down those plants uh, you know in the us you'd be shutting them you know they'd be shut down a couple of years ago but they're managing managing it closely you know having the planned output because two to three million workers are impacted so it, it is a it, it is a very long journey, but they're trying to tackle tackle that you know in a very planned way.
0: Now you mentioned um, innovation. Let's talk about that a bit because, and you're right. Uh, the view from the West, certainly from America, is that. Uh, they they look almost patronizingly at uh, China thinking, isn't it great they're, they're, they're hoping to become innovative when it's what you're saying, and I've certainly observed this, they already are and, in fact, in some places are really doing some pretty amazing stuff. Now, where is the innovation coming from since we know that the educational system is one that is, as a, at least I understand it, traditionally been based on rote learning? How does that all work if you don't have... Uh, kids that are being uh, taught how to be critical thinkers, there's something that's in the water there that is nonetheless producing people that are pretty highly innovative. Where's it coming from?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I, I guess there are two, two, two... Uh, two, two to three key things let me let me just talk about the education system a little bit Please. you're right the chinese education system you know the is is pretty it teaches kids to obey rules to respect the teachers to listen to the teachers it does not in, encourage innovation per se however they they pay huge fun, uh, attention to basic stem education science technology math and engineering and there there's you know in terms of basic uh, STEM knowledge, the Chinese uh, students are, I would say, far superior than most other countries. Uh, and the, as a matter of fact, I mean, I'm sure there's statistics that supports, you know, if you look at the scores, they, they really rank ha- higher than the U.S. in terms of math skills and all that. And these things are the base foundation for you know, innovation. So that's one thing that China has good going for them other than the fact that the the, the culture does not encourage out-of-the-box thinking and does not encourage, um, you know, it's more rule-bound versus anything else. The the other aspect of education, I had the pleasure of, um, you know, at a breakfast meeting with the vice president for Shanghai Jiao Tong University, which is one of the premier universities in in China. Yes. And he talked about, he talked about the, uh, the, how they're innovating their education Systems. I was very surprised to hear that they, they have have experimental class that the whole is this is for engineering students. Mm-hmm. And first of all, they they have all the um, the lessons are taught by foreign professors, all in English. It, this is in China, uh, in their China campus. So the whole they teach you know the whole teaching uh, curriculum is all um, from a, overseas. In this case, is my uh, alma mater, which University of Michigan.
0: Really, that's and they
1: also send yeah, oh yeah, they also send kids to University of Michigan, the engineering school. Uh, they they complete their education there, so they get enrolled. They get enrolled in, into um, um, the Shanghai Jiao Tong University, and they finish all their uh, the four years, and they get a degree, you know, a new degree uh, in from University of Michigan. And this is only one of them the Marshall School of Business at USC, they have a campus, they have a, a, a JV here with, the, or not JV, the joint program here with the with the Jiao Tong University. So there are many, many relationships. They have, you know, sister schools with France. they have exchange students everywhere. And they realize, you know, they realize that they are a lot to learn from an innovative, you know, out of the box thinking side from Western, their Western counterparts. But, and then if you look at their, the students' performance, at uh, you know, say the the group of students that goes to the University of Michigan, they usually graduate top of their class in the engineering students because the basic math and you know STEM education is so strong in China. So I guess that strength offset the the innovative side and and then um, I mean the, the the creative thinking side too, in my mind. And then you, you look at the the amount of innovation, you know, you look at in every front. I think the the West view is China is. Very fast at copying, they do a great job copying. They're not good at innovating. That can be misleading. Or that can be very wrong thinking. Because, and I'll just give you a couple in, in, examples. Everybody heard about Alibaba. Look at how fast they grew. Okay, you know they're they they're the leader in the internet you know area. And the other the other one is like the DD DD the application that the 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 ride sharing uh, business in China. They're four years old. They they bought Uber China because the Uber couldn't grow uh, as desired at their plan, right? Because they, and they, these companies they know the Chinese culture, they know the huge potential here. They're so nimble and quick, you know. And um, and if you look at that, I mean, we talk about drones in the U.S. for years, you know. Or in China, they sell more drones here and and electric vehicles. They sell more electric vehicles than the whole the rest of the world combined. OK, so the speed of innovation is fast. And then they um, and the other thing what I find really fascinating is, you know, you talk to the Chinese entrepreneurs. I have never seen such optimism. You really? talk to them, if they try something, they fail, they, 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 they'll try something else. Everybody's thinking about making something big and people want to be wealthy and they, they, they have slogans. You know, at some companies, you know, they, they, their vision statement is to create so many billionaires or so many million, millionaires, you know, so it's just the, the mentality is so different from the, um, a lot of other, you know, areas, uh, uh, countries. So, and that's what I found, I mean, huge. It really, you know, is the people's mindset and mentality. Everybody wants to do something, you know, they want to do, they want to own their business or they want to get rich. And they, so it's and just the feeling that everything is possible, you know, really, Makes a big difference.
0: Well, you know, since you do go back and forth between the, the two countries, you must have some uh, observation about how uh, the Chinese know they are pretty informed about what's happening in the West. And I find oh, yeah. that often I talk to a lot of Americans who are really ill informed about what's happening in China not only about issues like innovation, but just in general, they have no sense of what's, they walked into Shanghai, they would be flabbergasted. What do you think, yep. uh, what, what would you suggest needs to be done? Because it seems to me that we really all need to know each other better. Uh, what's the answer to that? The Chinese seem to have no problem teaching their, they've been learning English for a long time. We, ha- we think we have an explosion of people learning Mandarin, but Mandarin, Mm -hmm. but actually, it's fairly small. Um, What's the answer here, or isn't it important?
1: I I think it's really important. I mean, you know, as you know, China's second largest economy now, I'm sure they have aspirations to be the largest. You know, it depends on how the next four years is going to go. You know, there there could be geopolitical power shifts, you know, who knows. But You're right. I mean, the the next generation Chinese, they are all speaking English. I mean, you come to Shanghai, a lot of people, you know, at my office, everybody speaks English. The amount of the the, the improvement there, you know, from from 10 years or 15 years ago, the English uh, fluency is just amazing, you know. Um, But, um, you know, Mandarin is getting more popular, but, you know, it's not as many, um, obviously, not as many people, Americans speak Chinese. And and uh, vice versa. Um, you know, I mean, I think the Chinese people have this thirst about learning about America. And actually, it's funny. Uh, people think they know more than they do as well here. Uh, I had a friend from college uh, who um, who hasn't had huge exposure to, to to the West and yet hasn't traveled to the U.S. So her point of U.S. is Desperate Housewives because that's the show um, <laughs> she watches. And she said, so all Americans live like that? They, You know, they all... You know, you, you know, you know, desperate housewives. So, they, their view of the West can be a little skewed in, ter- skewed in terms of the value, people's value, and all that. So, oh, no, no, no. That's just a show. You, you know that, right? But they think it's, it's, it's real. So, uh, but, but at least they're curious in learning about the American culture. And I'm not sure if, you know, if you look at the general population, the Americans are as curious uh, about the Chinese culture, you know, you to, to learn as much about the Chinese culture
0: well and and so. I think, to our peril, um, so you are quite optimistic about china 's future, and that that 's clear, mm-hmm. nonetheless, I know you're aware that there are major challenges for China that it's facing uh, issues about the environment, about uh, health care mm-hmm. programs about uh, uh, the whole issue around education are there What would you point to as the things that you think are the major hurdles that China has to uh, somehow get over in order to continue this, this, uh, really ambitious future it has.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, environment is becoming, people are becoming way more aware about, about the environment, about the, the pollution than before now that they, they have, I think it's a big, big issue. The Chinese government have had to tackle. Um, and the other thing is, you know, a, a lot of, you know, despite the, the fact that China has, a lot of, you know, a lot of people got wealthy and, and they still, the people who have money, they still want to send their kids overseas. Okay. To, to get educated, you know, especially America, if, uh, if people can do that and, 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 and you've heard, there's a the huge capital outflow from China um, to, to the West in both private capital and also companies uh, doing acquisitions out, you know, outside China. Yes. So, so, um, and, and the, Government, I mean, they, they do, I think they just, they, they, they can take measures easily, say they will control the amount of capital outflow and and all that. So I think that the pollution and managing the economic transformation, you know, how they deal with the pollution, quality of life. Um, and then that's why this it has tied to do this government model of they want to upgrade and, and transform their economy. Upgrade from dirty manufacturing to more high tech, innovation driven uh, companies. And also, you know, more transition more to a service-based economy, uh, and these are all part of the plan. And uh, and the next five-year plan, the biggest meeting is uh, going to be held next year. So, it, you see a lot of. Um, I think it's the 13th five-year plan, if I'm not if I remember correctly, which is I think next year, early next year, they're going to have the meeting. Everybody's uh, is uh, uh, watching very closely as to what the direction is coming out of out of that meeting. and But, you know, you see a lot of them, um, if you watch the Chinese news, that uh, a lot of talk about transforming the economy, upgrading the economy, doing more value added, uh, added to, you know, from manufacturing to innovation driven.
0: Yeah, and I, I would say that I, I can understand how critically important this all is because China is pumping out a lot of college graduates for whom mm-hmm. uh, they don't yet have all the employment that they would wish, at least at this graduate, uh, at the college graduate level. So it, it's going to be mm-hmm. tricky. Nonetheless, you're highly optimistic. Is the biggest source mm-hmm. of your optimism the people themselves? This this sense of high ambition, strong optimism about their mm-hmm. country. Is that what is the driver? You think? Is there something else you would point to uh, yeah. in terms of? Why everyone is so optimistic in within the country? Because they, I certainly hear it when I'm there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that's one part—the the people's mindset—and they want uh, they want to do something, you know, bigger. The other thing is, I mean, it's just the sheer size of the economy, right? So it's the world's second largest economy, and if you look at um, the the even the middle class, okay i think they were talking about 300 million middle class that's bigger than the us population you know china has 1.3 billion uh, uh, population right right so even the sheer size and then for multinational's our share is still small here for, for, you know at least for us it's, our share here is much smaller than our share in the mature markets so to us we we see still we see a lot of opportunities despite slow down because you know, we have a lower base to build on, and just like I said, the size of the economy. Um, you know. So that's, you know, from my perspective, you know, that that is still represent really big potential.
0: So, is there something I haven't asked you about that you think is important when when we're talking about these two parts of the world that are so important to each other? Anything that you've observed since you've been there? for the last two years leading the operation. And I know you're not, you not only deal with China, but it's really greater China, Northeast Asia and Southeast Mm -hmm. Asia. You've got a pretty large piece of territory Mm -hmm. you're overseeing. Uh, What, is there anything that you'd like to point out that you think has been important in Mm -hmm. your own thinking about what's happening?
1: I mean, yeah, you know, you you look at the the, the political dynamics in the region, right? I mean, the Philippines who's been allies with the US for decades, now the new president is kind of al- aligning himself to, to China. And he talked about the South China Sea. I mean, uh, the Chinese pe- people view U.S. involvement there as uh, pure meddling. I mean, because U.S. is so far away, you know, for U.S. to, to express any views on that, you know, it's just uh, to them, it's... How, how Ridges. so there are a lot of you know geopolitical um sensitivities here and also you know with the new administration actually the, the chinese government has been very measured in in responding to all the appointments and the the, the, the things that are happening with the, the trump administration but um i think the key thing is the west people in the west need to understand that china or asia they're very very different cultures and china is very complex. The culture is very complex. You know, don't think, you know, you really need to rely on the expert because if you don't know the culture you say things, uh, saving face is big. It's very important here. People, you know, if you say things that will make people feel they lose face, whether it's people, you, your business people you deal with or government officials, it can really cause a lot more problems than, than you know, Yes,
0: uh,
1: and cause a lot of heart, heartburn. Um, uh-huh. You know, the, you know the, there's a saying, the, the longer you live in China, the less you know about it from a foreigner perspective. If you're here just for a week, you think, oh, my gosh, I, I know China. And then actually, you know nothing about China other than you've been here. And then you've been here, you know, a year, you think you can write a book about China. And then if you've been here three years, you might only think you can write an article about it, you know. So it's just the more you you know, the, the long you know, and the more complex, you know. The whole culture is and China is only one piece. I mean the same thing Japan is a very has a very different culture, Korea, you know, uh, the culture. I think the, the thing is to be open-minded to learn about the culture and adapt to it and don't force it the Western way onto the, the culture, you know, here.
0: Well, I, be, yeah, you know, as, someone, as someone said to me recently that uh, it used to be that the people from the West would go and they would talk to the Chinese now there's mm-hmm. now there's a conversation going on because we have so much to learn from the Chinese, mm-hmm. and I, I I think that that's probably well said. Um, mm-hmm. Anything else that you've observed in your in your uh, leadership role there?
1: No, I think the, you know the cultural piece is what I emphasize to my team because you know we our Asia headquarters uh, for Asia is in Shanghai, um, and then you know Shanghai so. We can't, you know, force the China culture or the U.S. culture into other when we go visit other countries. And, and every visitor we have or U.S. Ex, ex, expats we send here, the first thing we do is cultural culture induction because, you know, the cultural sensitivity is so important. Um, you know, we people, are, you know, I spend most of my more time in the U.S. than, than in China. And we, we tend to be very U.S. centric. You think, oh, the, you know, our way is, is the better way. But in it might be the better way, but that might not be the way to get things down here. So I think the cultural sensitivity is a very critical piece. Understanding how each market works is very, very important than, um, you know, it, for the very important factor for success.
0: Well, it sounds like we we all here do still have a lot to learn. And that's uh, it's, it's both it's thrilling in some way that there's opportunity yeah. now, I think, to have real conversation. So... Um, I want to thank you for your insights because they were really terrific, Christine. This is helpful to me, and I know the people that listen to this will find it helpful as well. So, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Susan. Good talking to you.
0: If this is the first time you're listening to Asia and the West podcast, please subscribe on your podcast app of choice. There are plenty more conversations with fascinating people from where this came. And please rate and review us on iTunes. As you may know, iTunes gives credit to reviews and ratings. And the more credit we get, the more people can discover us. And please tell your friends. Word of mouth is a powerful way to spread the word about the Conversation 360 podcast and this Asia and the West series. There's more information on our website, www.conversation360podcast.com. The show's Twitter handle is at ConV360 Podcast. That's C-O-N-V 360 Podcast. And my personal Twitter is at Susan W. Bird, spelled B-I-R-D. Thanks for listening.